the land of Cyrene. Uh, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord. You shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. And those who swallowed you will swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosoms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Well, good morning. There we go. We're, we're awake. Uh, my name's Andy and I uh, have started as a pastor. Uh, this is my seventh week here with you at St. Matt's and it's been a delight and joy to get to know you all. Uh, and I want to say welcome, add my welcome if you're... Uh, joining and uh, joining us and um, welcome if I haven't met you yet. I won't be able to meet you after this because I've got to run up to Wild Street uh, to preach there, but um, I'm sure we'll be able to meet in the future. Well, growing up, I grew up on the Central Coast, right? And so my, uh, can I tell you what my dream was as I was growing up on the Central Coast? My dream was just to get a land cruiser, troop carrier. It was to load it up with surfboards and travel around Australia, working just enough to get by. I didn't want much, I just wanted to be able to fuel and provide food so I could, uh, fuel and food so I could just keep surfing waves around Australia. Now I don't know if you've reflected on what your dream is, you might have a little bit more aspirational dream than that, um, but I don't know if I ever expressed it, but I think deep down as I looked at people who did that, I thought they're living the good life. I thought, you know, they've made it, they've made it, they've just, they're living the dream. For me, that all changed in 2007. Uh, so there was a bunch of things going on for me in 2007. I was at uni, but there, I was actually, I watched a movie that profoundly impacted me. Has anyone seen Into the Wild? 
No one. Okay. Couple of people. Yeah. It, I, I, rem- I, just, I remember I went to the movies with my housemate. Uh, he was named Ori. We had a pack of Tim Tams. I remember after the movie, just sitting there. It, it was empty, right? So it wasn't a big popular movie. Maybe there was three other people. But I was sitting there with my pack of Tim Tams just going, wow. The, essentially, Into the Wild is a movie about um, a guy, Christopher, who finishes up at uni. And instead of kind of chasing the prestigious, you know, uh, profitable career, he gives everything away. And he sets out on a journey to the Alaskan wilderness. Um, that movie just pulled the rug out from beneath me and my dreams. Because it, it just showed the stark reality of, of kind of how selfish a pursuit of living this dream was in reality. Because he would go and he would meet people in different places and then he would just get up in the middle of the night and leave. And the person that was, would be like, what, what, where did he go? Uh, and then, you know... I don't want to kind of put a spoiler. It's a good movie to watch, but, you know, he ends up in the wilderness all alone and, uh, and he doesn't make it out. Um, anyway, there we go. Spoiler alert, I should have told you. But can I, can I say, we, we do have moments in life. So that just profoundly impacted me. We do have moments in our lives where our perspective changes on life, doesn't it? You know, sometimes they're just small things, but sometimes they can be life-changing. So I've never... I, I think after that movie, I never wanted travel to be the goal of my life. Can I say this passage that we just read out throughout the ages has been that passage for many people. It, it has transformed their life. And as they've kind of come to understand the wonder of what he's been spoken about, the glory and the weight, it can truly give us and has truly given people something worth living for. See, what we read out here, I'm going to focus on the first six verses, okay? But what we read out was, it's like a portrait. It's like an ancient painting. Uh, A painting with words of a, with such accuracy, of a servant. A servant who is going to come. Now, the New Testament, you know, the the part 700 years after this route, joins the dots for us, and it tells us that this person that was being painted there was actually talking about the risen Lord Jesus, but this is, this is written 700 years before Jesus. So, I, I, oh, do I have a map? No, I don't have a map. I'm going to do the map after. Come back. Sorry, Hugh. Okay, I do have a map, but... Okay, so let me just tell you, right? We're, we're, what we're talking about here, we're, we're in Babylon. Um, so that's, you know, there's a Mediterranean Sea. We're talking modern-day Iraq and... Uh, we're talking about the nation of Israel. Just to kind of, you know, when you come into a passage like this, we're talking, you know, 2,000 years for Jesus and 700 years before that, 27 years ago. It's just to place ourselves in uh, history. But this passage was written 700 years, right, before Jesus turns up. And he talks with such accuracy about what Jesus is going to look like. Now, can you imagine that for us today, right? I'm just, I've just confused you because I've jumped ahead with the map and I'm coming back to tell, tell you about accuracy. Um, 700 years ago, so 14th century, can you imagine someone telling us what the outcome of yesterday's election was going to be? Before Australia was even on the map, you know, they're they're telling us what the outcome was going to be. Uh, This passage tells us the character and his purpose of what this servant is going to achieve. And I'm going to tell you, it's just moved me. It has uh, lifted my eyes to see the things of God. So we know where we are in the world. We're in modern-day Iraq. And 
God has his eyes on one nation, Israel. Now, like, God has been talking with them. He's been blessing, looking after them and providing with them. But as we heard in the kids' talk, they were uh, sinful and stubborn and didn't listen to God. And so they turned to idols and worshipped everything else but him. So in, in God's mercy and in his judgment, he kind of judges them and uproots them from their homeland and sends them to Babylon, where the map is, modern day, there we go. And, um, and they're away from down the south where Judah is, that's where they were, they're up in Babylon in modern day Iraq. Now, the, 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 um, the servant figure, it's not new in Isaiah, it's popped up already along the way, okay? So we're talking about this servant figure. Uh, we saw him in Isaiah 42, so not the Cyrus week, the week before that, where he was going to be someone that was chosen by God, the Spirit of God was going to lay on him, and he was going to bring justice to the nation and open the eyes of the blind. But we're getting more detailed picture, more detailed painting here. And so have a look at what the servant here says about himself. Verse 1, this is what the servant says about himself. He says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So they're in Iraq, they're in the desert, and the coast is a long way away, all right? And he's saying, I want everyone to know what I'm about to say here. He wants the whole world to pay attention and to hear what he is saying. Do you know what the most popular uh, watched TV event of all time is? Anyone want to take a guess? Olympics, yes, definitely Olympics, that's the answer. I thought maybe, you know, the moon, like as a ratio of population to whatever, uh, but there's the Olympics, uh, they had 3.6 billion people watched it of a total 7.2. So we're under 48% watched the Olympics opening and closing ceremony. That's huge, right? But what the servant is saying here is unlike the Olympic Games, no one's going to miss out on this. Uh, even if you don't have Facebook or Insta, you know, or you're a boomer struggling with the internet, you won't miss out on this. This is, this is what he says about himself. Have a look. It goes in verse 1. He says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Now, my wife, Miriam, and I, we struggled. We have four kids. We struggled to decide our names until they were born. We kind of were always debating it. And then even after they were born, it took us a couple of days. Not here. Here is someone who long before his birth was appointed, named for a particular role and purpose. Verse 2, let's keep going. He said, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. See, I love Hebrew poetry, right? Because it kind of repeats the same idea. So if you don't get it the first time, you go, oh, that's, that's the same idea, but it's just repeated. There's two ideas going on here, right? This servant, firstly, this servant, his weapon will be his word. See, not like Cyrus with his military might. No, this servant, his word will be his weapon. It's a mouth like a sharpened sword. It's like a sharp, polished arrow. So his teaching will be powerful and effective. A mighty weapon in the hands of God. The second idea we get from this here is that his weapon will be hidden. Did you notice that? So it's, 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 uh, it's in the shadow of his hand. In the quiver, he's hidden me away. It's hidden so that just at the right time in history, the Lord will draw the arrow and shoot it. And it will do the will of the word of the Lord. I think the idea that he's getting at is it's like this servant is the silver bullet. You know that kind of that concept? It's, he is the silver bullet. 
you know, the cure for cancer. It will be just the right weapon for at just the right time. Now, we know a lot about this servant already, but we don't know his name. Have a look in verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So the servant here will be called Israel. Now, that's a particularly strange name, right? Because it can be a bit confusing. Uh, And particularly as we think that uh, the New Testament kind of tells us that Jesus is the true Israel. Now, I think there's two things for us to notice here. Firstly, Jesus, he's going to do what the nation Israel, so the single person Jesus is going to do what the nation Israel failed to do. See, Israel, they didn't live up to their name. Uh, See, in Isaiah, Israel was tasked with the mission whereby they would be a light to the nations and so the people would come to them from God. They were meant to be like a camping light, you know, when you turn it on at night and you know what happens? All the moths flock to it. But Israel, you know, so they, Israel was supposed to live such godly, holy lives that the nations would see them and flock to them. But the reality is Israel failed at this. They've been doing this miserably and that's what we've been looking at, you know, for that's what Isaiah's been talking about for the last 49 chapters. See, Israel, they're so far from living this out, their name, what it required, they're blind, it talks about them being deaf and in darkness, just like the idols they worship. They had no hope of even being a light for themselves and let alone any, helping anyone else find God. But had God failed with Israel? Well, no, because God provides the substitute Israel, Jesus, who will live up to that name. The second thing to note about the name Israel and about the servant figure is that across Isaiah, um, Israel increasingly refers, and the servant increasingly refers to an individual and not a nation. So we see this down in verse 5, uh, where the servant uh, is, is uh, just calling Israel in, in, um, in speaking. So the servant called Israel speaking. It says, verse 5, So now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to himself, and that Israel might be gathered to him. See that, that you, you hear what we're trying to wrestle with here? See, how can Israel the nation, who is in exile, gather Israel the nation? It's, it's kind of like asking me to save myself. You know, if you, if you need, it's like trying, like, it, it's, I don't know how to do that. It just doesn't work. It's impossible. But see, what is being promised here is that one day the servant, the individual, the true Israel, will save Israel. See, Israel as a nation for us, it's a picture of all humanity. It's, they've only ever been an imperfect servant of the Lord. But God, in his love and mercy, is going to send the perfect servant of the Lord, who will not sin, who will not fall, and he will be able to save See, it's this one that Isaiah wants them to put their hopes in and to realise that they had no hope on their own. And so when, you know, Jesus turns up 700 years later and he says in John, I am the light of the world. All who follow me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. We get the significance because he's saying that one that was spoken 700 years ago, I am he. I'm the one that was promised that long ago Jesus is the one that we're to pin our hope in but here's the thing God has something much bigger in mind for this servant than just saving Israel from exile 
saving the nation from exile. Have a look in verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up tribes of Jacob and to bring the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See what he's saying there? He's saying, it's too, it's too small a thing, it's too light a thing for you just to save Israel, the nation. No, I, I'm going to make you the saviour of the nations. It's going to reach the ends of the earth. See, God's plan from ages past was going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And hasn't God achieved this salvation through the one man, Jesus, who came not to serve, but no, sorry, not to be served, but to serve? and to give his life as a ransom. So when he lived, when he died, when he walked out of the grave, he brought light to the nations. Salvation is here. And friends, isn't it a good time to live this side of Jesus? As we reflected before, salvation has come to the ends of the earth in many ways. I mean, it's Sydney. We're in Botany. I know we just spoke into the east, but we are, when we're thinking about Palestine, we are the ends of the earth. This still blows me away. You know what it does for me as I reflect on what God has been doing? It brings me such confidence in God's word. So as we see the portrait painted hundreds of years before Jesus, and then we see how the New Testament uh, joins all the dots together, that it's Jesus who he's speaking about, it just gives me confidence. This is God's word. And the more that I dig into God's word, the more confidence and the depth and the richness of what God is, do, is doing. And as I behold God, you know, the Bible, right? Just 66 different books, 40 different authors, yet one loving story about how God graciously acts to bring us salvation. Just amazing if you, if you dwell on that for a moment. Can I say the second thing it does for me? It just... It, it gives me a greater appreciation and adoration of the servant Jesus. See, Jesus has won salvation for the nations. He is the way. And God has been working towards this for millennia past so that we now today can receive this salvation. Now, there's another thing I want us to note from verse 6 here. So have a look at verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant and bring Israel back. The words there, too light, a thing there, you know, in the Bible, glory equals heaviness. So for this servant to save only Israel is not heavy enough. It's not glorious enough. He, God says, I want to do something more weighty, more glorious, and I want to save all people's groups through, of the world through this servant. See, it's for the glory and the honour and praise of the servant that salvation must go to the ends of the earth. This is God's passion. This is God's ambition in the world that, he, that the, the glory of Jesus, the salvation one in him, will go to the ends of the world because Jesus deserves all glory and praise. He deserves every tongue in every city of every nation in every region to honour him to bow before him, and he deserves to get all the glory. Now, when you think about um, sharing Jesus with those around you, a good reason is because of your love for the people, isn't it? You know, because we know that he is the only way, and we know that it's good for them, 
uh, because we know that Jesus is the light of the Gentiles and he's the only one who has been faithful and can save us. But can I say that here there is something far more greater, far more glorious and far more praiseworthy that drives us to share Jesus. It is the glory and the honour and the praise of the servant. It is because of who God is that salvation must go to the ends of the world. So you know in our world we have a glory crisis. That's because people aren't rightly worshipping the true and living God as he rightly deserves. People are worshipping, you know, they're devoting their energy, passion, dreams, time, money to everything but Jesus, the only one who is worthy of their worship. And we wonder, don't we? You know, we wonder why we or people around us are so dissatisfied, are so uh, lost and empty in this life. But it's going to say we share Jesus because we have a worship problem in our world and people aren't worshipping Jesus as they ought. Uh, John Piper, I don't know if you know John Piper, he's a, uh, he was a, a pastor, theologian in America. He, he wrote a book, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. He captures this, right? It says, missions exist because worship doesn't. By mission, we mean taking the gospel to the nations. So we'll keep going. He says, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When age over, or before God, missions will be no more, but worship abides forever. Worship is the fuel and goal of missions. You get what he's saying there? No? Yes? People are asleep. Mission exists because there are those who don't yet worship God, the God who made them. Uh, he's saying, and, and the God who died for them. See, all of history is moving towards this way, one great goal of worshipping Jesus. And those who are captivated by Jesus, uh, by God and what he is doing, those who behold him in all his glory, those who want to honour and worship him with their lives, they're the ones that will engage in mission. Because they're the ones, you know, they're, they're living and enjoying and delighting in God who has saved us, who died for us. And that builds a, a, a fire, a grit, a determination in all of us to worship Jesus, the one and only one worth praising. You know, if you're, if you're new to the things of Jesus or new to the things of God and you're wondering why people keep inviting you to church or keep wanting to talk to you about Jesus, it's because they want you to know what they have and who they know, Jesus. They want you to enjoy and delight in the one true person truly worshipping you know, every Sunday morning, I, um, when I come to church, I drive past a couple of cafes uh, and, you know, you see people getting their coffees. I see lots of people walking their dogs. You know, my heart aches for those people. I, my heart aches for them to worship God. You know, my neighbours, you know, when they talk about the best part of their week is, you know, watching, listening to the footy on a, on a Sunday or getting a wave or going for a surf on the beach. My heart aches because they don't yet know the salvation in Jesus. They're not giving Jesus the glory he deserves. See, here's the thing. Although Jesus has turned up, the nations can receive salvation, but it has not yet been achieved, has it? See, as long as there are people who don't yet worship the God who made them, the God who died for them, we still have a mission. Come uh, forward in your Bibles to Acts 13. So Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Uh, it will come up on the screen, but it's good to turn, turn your Bible there. 
This is 700 years after the picture in Isaiah. The context is uh, Jesus has lived, died, and he's risen. Paul is an apostle, Paul and Barnabas, and they've been taking the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, and they're in Antioch. Uh, and the whole city is kind of gathered there to hear the message of Jesus uh, and, and what they have to say. So here's what they say. He says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. That's just the non-Jewish people, everyone else but the Jews. For Verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. You see what's going on there? Paul and Barnabas have applied Isaiah 49 to themselves. Yes, Jesus is the author of salvation. He is the light that dawned. He has has brought salvation in. Yet now, Paul and Barnabas, they see themselves as servants of the servant. They see themselves as messengers of this salvation who are taking this message to the ends of the earth. You want to know what Paul's dream was? Romans 15, 20. It'll come up. He says, Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. I remember when I first heard a sermon on that, it captured me. I was sitting in Charlestown Presbyterian Church. Just remember thinking, wow, what, what an ambition. See, that is something worthy. That is what puts the fire in Paul's belly. That is something worth getting up for. That is a goal worth living for. So much more weighty, more worthy than myself, you know, centered ambition of just chucking boards in a car and chasing waves around Australia. Do you know what our vision is at Wild Street and St. Matt's? Our vision is to be disciple-making disciples through the Word of God and prayer to the glory of God. Do you know why that is? It's because we convinced that Jesus deserves the glory and honour due to him from every person. So we want more and more people to come to know that in botany and beyond. You know, every empty chair in this building is a reminder every Sunday that we have friends and family facing a Christless eternity. Jesus is not getting worshipped as he should. Today is the day of salvation, but the the salvation has not yet finished. You know, as I drive around and every kind of block of land that gets the towers built on it, just reminds me of how big the mission is here. It reminds me that we have so many living in our area that aren't worshipping Jesus. See, if our, our eyes, if our dreams, if our uh, only ever stays uh, local for the glory of God, we've kind of missed the point about this servant Jesus, haven't we? We have missed the praise and honour that he deserves from all people, from all nations. It's not just here in Botany and beyond. It's around the world. Can I give you a couple of mission stats? You know that 80% of Buddhists, 80% of Muslims, and 80% of Hindus in the world don't know a Christian. That's a lot of people. I'm told that if every single person 
uh, told every single one of their friends and family about Jesus and by his grace they all became Christians, we would still have 3 billion people who don't know about Jesus. That's just under half the world's population who aren't worshipping the God who made them and died for them. The, the nations are coming to Sydney, yes, but we have an urgent need to go, don't we? You know, this last two weeks, I had two different people chat to me about um, their desire to take the gospel outside of Sydney. You know, these are people that are captured by the glory of God and captured by Jesus. Uh, I believe like Wild Street has a, a rich history of raising up generations of men and women who are captured and sold out for this glory of God and the mission. Isn't that amazing? I'm praying that it will continue to go. And I, I'm praying that here at St. Matt's, we might have the blessing of sending out some people to the nations with the message of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a pastor, but I still find myself getting distracted. You know, I still find myself, uh, you know, just the comfort, entertainment, you know, cooled by the ease, my fire. We've got to help each other to keep lifting our eyes to this reality, don't we? To keep lifting our vision to see the eternal realities around us. Uh, you know what helps me with my zeal for the glory of God? For the, to keep reminding me so I can see that salvation has to go to the nations, the ends of the earth. I've got a picture here, I think. Look at this. This is yesterday, election day barbecue. You know, yesterday we, you know, a bunch of people organized and bought all food and bacon and made bacon and eggs and democracy sausage. Uh, you know why? So they could connect with people in our community. So they could invite them to church. People captured by the reality of Jesus. That fuels my fire. That lifts my eyes to see the eternal realities. I've got another slide. Here's a picture of life. On, the, on Monday nights, there are six people who are checking out Jesus. And you know, there's a team of people that kind of put this together so that people would be able to hear the message of salvation of Jesus. Lives, uh, lives being asked to change so that my worship the true and living God. That lifts my eyes to the eternal realities. That puts a fire in my heart. Here, I've got another photo. Kids Club. You know, last night at dinner, um, my kids were fighting about what they'd been learning in kids' church. They're they doing a memory verse, Titus 3, 5. I don't know if other, other kids are doing that, but they'll find out who can memorize it. That's just, that just lifts my heart, and I'm just so thankful for our kids can learn about Jesus. And that it lifts my eyes to go, that's right. It's the glory of God and salvation we count in Jesus that we're in about. You know, week, I don't have, I think there's another slide, but I'm not, yeah, there's no other slide. You know, week in, week out at um, church, Week in, week out here at church, you know, what we do here may seem insignificant, uh, but through the eyes of God, wow, what weighty, glorious things we do as we hear from God, as we encourage each other, as we sing. This stokes my heart. This lifts my eyes to see what God's doing. Now, friends, I don't know what your dream is, what your dreams are, but as I reflect on what God is doing, doesn't it make you pause for a moment and think about your own dreams? doesn't make you pause and think about your own ambitions in life. You know, are they small? Are they pathetic, little, me-centric, self-serving dreams? Or are they God-centered? See, today, maybe you've had a moment where you've had the rug 
pulled out from underneath you. And God has given us a grand view of what he is on about. He's on about his glory. He's on about his salvation going to the ends of the earth. And it has eternal value and it's something worth living for. Let me finish by praying. Heavenly Father, we are just blown away and captured by the servant, your servant, Jesus, that you promised long ago. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the true Israel, who won salvation for us. We pray that you would work through us to continue your salvation to the ends of the earth. We long for the servant to be given the glory and honour he deserves. Please lift up the name of Jesus that he would be praised here and throughout your world. We pray this in his name. Amen.